is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page 687 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of God. Thank you, Janice. You know, one of the difficulties of the Christmas story is we are so familiar with its words that it's hard for us to really grasp it like hearing a story for the first time. We hear it, and when I heard her read, for example, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way, my mind autom automatically thought, maybe some of you, uh, 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 oh, now I forgot how it went. Now the birth of Jesus was, how did it go in the King James? Just, now it escaped my mind, but that's the way life goes for me. I'm getting old now. I thought of it in the King James Version, you know. I thought, of, oh, that didn't sound right because we tend to put our own story back into this old Christmas story. So one of the difficulties of the Christmas story is we tend to just sort of hear it like we always hear it. Uh, and, and yet they're so powerful words. Matthew is beginning a gospel. He's beginning the good news about Jesus. He is telling the story about how Jesus was a fulfillment of God's promise to the nation of Israel. He begins the book of Matthew by saying, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David the son of Abraham. And he begins with Jesus' pedigree. He starts with Abraham. He's talking about Jesus as the fulfillment of Jewish prof of, of prophecy to the Jews. And he speaks about Abraham and his descendants. And then he speaks about David, a descendant of Abraham, and then his descendants. And then he speaks about those kings which followed David and even uh, for another 14 generations after David as well. And then finally, beyond their deportation to uh, Babylon, their, their, their time coming back into Israel, 14 more generations. And then he finalizes it by saying, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. He's telling the story about Jesus, and he's telling it from the perspective of his earthly father, Joseph. And he begins to tell us, about Joseph. You know, Joseph is the unsung hero of the Christmas story. Would you agree? I mean, how many carols do you sing about Joseph? And there's not really much. 
There are a few songs that have been part of musicals that I've done in the past where the writer of the musical wants to have some song about Joseph admiring his young child, right? Uh, and uh, it's be- there are some beautiful songs, but you don't know them. We don't know songs about Joseph. He is the unsung hero of the Christmas story and because his role was vital to God's plan. Disregarding common sense and the whispers of his culture around him, think about this, he bore Mary's disgrace by taking her as his wife. He protected both her purity and her child And then, just like that, failing one brief appearance when Jesus was 12, he vanishes from the story. We never hear from him again. In fact, he's so silent in this story that we generally assume that Joseph was probably somewhat older than Mary and that he had had already passed away by the time Jesus began his ministry. But we really don't know much of anything about Joseph. He vanishes from the story. And yet, Joseph was obedient to God's call on his life. He had an integral part of the coming of God into human flesh. Today, I want us to honor his courage and his faithfulness and draw some lessons from his story. He is, as I said, the unsung hero of this Christmas story. So, let's take a look at this passage and try to look at it fresh and anew. Uh, Now, the birth of Jesus the Christ was on this wise That's the way it was in the King James Version. Now, the birth of Jesus the Christ was on this wise, in this way. The speaking about Jesus begins with the story of Joseph. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Here we see the first thing that we want to note about Joseph, and that is this. Joseph had an extraordinary dilemma. Joseph's dilemma was extraordinary. What did he discover? He discovered that his betrothed was pregnant. (laughs) Can you imagine that? He's gone to meet with uh, Mary's father. He's negotiated with his father. You know, marriage was mostly contractual in those days. There were obligations, and one of those obligations was purity. In fact, there were tremendous consequences if it could be shown that the woman to which you're going to be married had not been pure. So he was assured of her purity. Then all of a sudden, he discovers that his betrothed is pregnant. Now, in those days, to be betrothed was not like being fully married, but it still was not like simply being engaged, okay? It meant you had a legal contract to become the wife of a certain man. Times were different back then. Marriage was not a co-equal partnership anymore uh, at that point, and uh, you were obligated to be with that man. You generally did not have the wedding until a time later on, and, but if you wanted to break a betrothal, the only way to do it was through divorce. You didn't just agree together not to be married or not to be together anymore. He discovers that his betrothed was pregnant. This gives to us some sense of what it was like for Mary, his betrothed, when she sat there as a middle teenage girl probably and received the story of the angel to her that she was going to expect a baby. Mary must have known when she said yes to the angel that the likelihood was that she would be an unwed mother. 
She had to have assumed that. That would have been the typical thing. When she said yes to the angel, and when a pregnancy began to occur in her body, she had to typically assume that once Joseph learned of it, at the best, she would be divorced from him. At the worst, she could be stoned by him for unfaithfulness. That was how uh, important the realities were. His betrothed was pregnant. And so can you imagine this story? And I often wonder, we're not told in the Scripture how Joseph found out that his, Mary was pregnant. You know, did she go to him right away and say, oh, guess what? An angel came to me at night. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, they didn't live in the same area probably. I mean, you know, they weren't seeing each other every day. Somehow he discovers she's pregnant. She probably tells him. She probably waits a while to make sure she really can't, is pregnant. You know how you would probably do? And then she has to explain to Joseph this story. So Joseph had an extraordinary dilemma. Number one, his betrothed was pregnant. Number two, his story, her story was preposterous. Preposterous. Imagine the conversation that must have occurred between them. I mean, they were no different than you and I. If you were talking with your girlfriend, your wife-to-be, or any woman for that matter, and she said, I'm pregnant, and this is how it happened, you'd say, yes, yes. Uh, and there's an institution just down the road for you, you know, where crazy people go. This is not how pregnancy happens. They were as smart about these things as you and I are, probably more smart because a little more earthy when the way they lived. And so she has this preposterous story. And it says there, Joseph, being a just and just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, this was a pretty big deal for him. His plan was divorce. In fact, his plan was quiet divorce. I mean, According to Scripture, he could have had her stoned for adultery. He could have done that. That wouldn't have been done much, though. But what would have normally been done would be you'd put the person to shame publicly. Why? Because this is a stain on Joseph's moral character. It's all about providing progeny for the husband in those days, right? And here he is planning to have a family, finding out that the one to whom he was, had pledged himself is now having a child that is not going to be his own. Normally, you would put them on some sort of trial so that the husband would be absolved of any responsibility and that they would know that he was not the father of this child and that this woman had become disgraced. But then, of course, what would happen, she would likely never be able to get married ever in her life. The firstborn child is and especially was a huge deal, huge deal. And Joseph would not, no matter what happened, be the father of her firstborn child. So he had resolved, because he's a, a righteous man, a good man, a simple, a poor, we would say a peasant Jew at that time, but righteous and a good man, he decides he's going to divorce her quietly, which is this, the, 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 the humane thing to do. I'm sure he finds her story preposterous and unbelievable, but he does care for her and doesn't want to see her unjustly or, un, you know, hurt more than she needs to be. So Joseph has an extraordinary dilemma. But then we see in the next few verses that Joseph now makes, number two, an extraordinary decision. An extraordinary decision. Listen to it as it goes on. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He don't read that without thinking about what's going on. Joseph going to sleep, he's mulling all these things. Suddenly there is a vision of an angel that appears before him. An angel appears in his presence, and he says, Joseph, I want you to take Mary as your wife. The child in her came from God, is from the Holy Spirit. Mary is going to bear a son. You will call him Jesus because he is one who will save the people from their sins. And so he woke up and takes Mary as his wife. What's going on here? First of all, he has a surprising dream. His dream is so surprising. Suddenly before him stands an angel, and the angel says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. But the angel begins it by saying, Joseph, son of David, now, that is a pretty powerful term. What is the angel reminding Joseph when he said, he would not have been called son of David. His father's name wasn't David. What does this phrase mean? Sometimes we refer to Jesus as son of David. What does it mean? Joseph, although you are a peasant in the backwoods of Galilee, I know your lineage. You are a son of the king, King David. Da Joseph, Descendant of King David, take Mary as your wife. The child in her is from the Holy Spirit. He acknowledges his special identity, which would have been mostly forgotten. They didn't think much about those things by then. The monarchy had been long gone. They'd been oppressed. They were a, a disadvantaged people. He was just a nobody in the middle of no place, but he did have this pedigree that went all the way up to David. He would have known about that. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David. Take Mary to be your wife. What was this angel asking him to do? He was asking him to take her in as his own, even though the child that would be born would not be his own flesh and blood child. But he asked him to believe that that child had been given to her by the Holy Spirit. And of course, God who creates life is perfectly capable of doing that. We can't understand that mystery, but we know that God is capable, capable of doing this. And he so he loses the chance to have his very own firstborn child, and then he doesn't even get the chance to name this child. And you're going to give him this name, Yeshua. The, new, the version that they would say of the Old Testament version, Joshua. The name will be the Lord saves. Now, the word Jesus was a common name in those days, so it's not as though nobody had that name, about like Joshua is today. It's a common name today. It was a common name there, but he was told to give him that name. He had this surprising dream with a request to marry, some, Mary, to marry Miriam, would have been her name in Aramaic, marry Miriam, and to take her as his wife, 
and to raise this child as his own and to give to this child the name that the, that the angel had told him. Now, it's easy for you to say that, oh, of course, but that's not an easy thing to do. Having a child is a big deal, isn't it? Yeah. So we see his surprising dream, and then secondly, we see his courageous response. His courageous response. What did he do? It says he took Mary as his wife. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife. What does this mean? This means that those who counted months and days would have known that Mary had this baby too soon. This means that those who counted months and days would have assumed that this baby was Joseph's baby. There was no way for him to dispute that claim. What could he say? Now, what had, because they were betrothed, this wasn't particularly like being an unwed mother, but it still was not socially acceptable. So Joseph was willing to take that. Imagine what women, the care that this man Joseph has shown towards you. You've responded to God, to that angel, and allowed God's will to be done in your life. But now, look who's coming to take care of you. Joseph, likely numerous years older than herself, probably in his 20s, maybe he's even as old as 30. He comes in, he takes this has to be a frightened teenage girl. The way of motherhood is happening to her, and he says, it's okay, Mary. The angel appeared to me, too. Let's get married. She knows what that means for him. He knows what it means for her. What a courageous response. He took Mary as his wife, he bore Mary's social disgrace. She was the one socially disgraced by all of this, supposedly. And the Bible says he kept her pure. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son. He kept her pure during the whole course of the, her pregnancy until after the time the baby was born. There are some who think Mary uh, was a, a virgin for the rest of her life. There are some religious Christians who teach that. I respect that tradition, but I don't find that to be credible in Scripture because we find that Jesus had other brothers. And in fact, um, some of, uh, one of the key leaders of the church was James, Jesus' brother. Now, there are those who say, well, this might have been a, 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 well, we don't know. But anyway, the bottom line is it seems to us as though Mary's virginity lasted up until the time of the birth of her baby. And then she and Joseph had normal relationships and other children came as a result of their, of their union. But still, for the period of her pregnancy, he kept her pure. And then we see in the few snippets of his story that the angel appeared to Joseph again after the baby was born and warned him that Herod was coming after them. And Joseph, it says, took Jesus into Egypt, paralleling the, own, the story of the Israelites generations before when they were protected in Egypt, only then someday to return back to Israel, to Palestine, to the Galilee, and ultimately to begin the ministry that Jesus had for him some 20, 30 years later. So he protected Mary's child. What did he do? He took Mary as his wife. He bore Mary's disgrace. He kept Mary pure. He protected her child. He became the father to Jesus. Joseph made an extraordinary decision. And then ultimately we see, thirdly and finally, that Joseph had an extraordinary descendant. An extraordinary descendant. 
What do we learn about Jesus' descendant, or Joseph's descendant, the man we call Jesus? We learn several things. We learn, first of all, that Jesus' conception was miraculous. Conception was miraculous. Verse 20, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Mary's pregnancy was planted in her with her egg as a part of the human race and the Holy Spirit of God. So we have that unique combination of divinity and humanity that allowed Jesus to become God in the flesh, God as a baby, God in a crib, God nursing, God with changing diapers, God who grows up, God who comes and lives among us, one of us, God the second Adam, who now creates new humanity by his life and death and resurrection so that we, by trusting in him, can be saved from our sins and be part of the plan that God had from the very beginning when he first created this earth, which was to walk among us. God, who wanted to walk among us, now did walk among us, first of all, in the person of Jesus. His conception was miraculous. Now, there are those who think that's a far-fetched story, But for me, I come into these miraculous stories from another point of view. Here's where I come into my belief that God can and does do anything. I come into it ultimately through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It seems to me that the evidence overwhelmingly suggests that when Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. His grave was empty. His body was seen. His disciples were changed. And there is no good logical explanation for those three facts. There is no good explanation for the fact that the grave was empty. It was. That's an historical fact. How do we explain it? There's no good explanation for the fact that he was seen and he ate and he, he was among them and they, they saw him and touched him. That happened in Scripture. How do we explain it? Were they lying? Were they imagining? Or did it happen? And thirdly, and I think most importantly, these disciples were changed, radically changed, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These Jewish people who believed in only one God came to believe that Jesus was God manifest, God embodied, God in human form, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. They came to believe that. And how did they come to believe that? They weren't polytheists like the Romans. They weren't pantheists. They were monotheists, and yet they believed that Jesus, who they saw die and saw after he was dead, was raised from the dead. These are the people who proclaimed that Jesus was the Son of God, the divine God with us. When I can come to faith in that, then I can believe that his death had salvific effect. And when I can believe that, then I can believe Easily, it's not hard at all for me to believe that Jesus makes a change in my life, forgiving me of my sin, and all the other miracles fall into place. If God could do that, Jesus could be born of a virgin. Yes, his conception was miraculous. Number two, about his extraordinary, uh, Joseph's extraordinary descendant, his character was divine. I've alluded to this already as I've chatted with you. Verse 22, all this took place 
to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah, by the way. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. What is the essence of the Christmas story? It's not peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's not giving presents. The essence of the Christmas story is that the baby that was born that day was none other than God in human skin. God among us. The creator, the, the creator of the universe became one of us. Jesus, the Bible teaches us, is God. He is Emmanuel. This is the claim that was made about him. Jesus is the one who offered and received forgiveness. He received worship from people. These Jewish people believed that he was God in the flesh when they saw him raised from the dead. And throughout the ages, we have believed that God came among us in the person of Jesus Christ. He is Emmanuel. Jesus is God. That's the essence of what the Christmas story is, that God clothed himself in human flesh he was God putting on skin, God becoming one with us. That's what we worship on Christmas Day. That's why we, like the wise men, come and offer to him our worship. That's why we, like the shepherds who come to see him on Christmas Day, go out and tell the story to all whom we meet. That's why we, like Mary, say to Jesus, Be it unto me according to your word. That's why we follow Jesus with our lives, because Jesus is God living among us. But keep in mind, it is not just that Jesus is God, but it is God with us, with us. How did you experience God in the Old Testament? You experienced Him like a whirlwind, like Job. Think of a tornado, the power of that. That's not very fun. It's very powerful, not very fun. Or you experience him like the smoking furnace as Abraham did one time. Or like the burning bush like Moses did in Midian. Or like the pillar of fire, the cloud of smoke as the people of Israel did. Or like the Shekinah glory like the, they experienced in the temple. But the Bible teaches us that when Jesus came, he came not in those fearful ways, but simply as a little baby. I've thought a lot about little babies the last few months. I'm going to see a little baby this afternoon, six months old, I think, on the 27th. You can't help but love a baby, right? Even you Scrooges, right? You just can't. You may not want to touch them, but you like looking at them, right? You can't help but feel close to a baby. Yeah. When Jesus came, he came as a simple child to a simple family in a simple part of the country. He came as someone to whom we could relate. Yes, he was God, but he was God in human form. The Bible says in John 1, 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Yes, J Joseph had an extraordinary descendant a descendant whose conception was miraculous, whose character was divine, and thirdly, whose mission was salvation. Whose mission was salvation. She will bear a son, verse 21 says. You shall call his name Jesus, which means, by the way, the Lord saves. Joshua, the Lord saves. 
You should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Oh, yes. The beauty of the Christmas story is that it's very personal, that we can receive Jesus and find in him forgiveness for our sins. Now, maybe you think you're perfect, but just talk to someone close to you. <laughs> They'll let you know you're not. They know you have failed. And you haven't just failed other people. You've failed the God who made you. We have. We have failed the God who made us. Yeah. If I see over there and I see uh, 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 Bill turn around and whack Paul in the face, like he gets mad and these two guys, are, he, he, get mad, he hits him in the face, um, and, and I go then to uh, Bill and I say, I forgive you, Bill. That would be kind of weird. I'm not the guy who got hurt. Right? It would be Paul who would say, I forgive you, Bill. But Jesus says, I forgive you. Because when we sin, we aren't just sinning against people. We're sinning against the God who made us. The offenses that we have are offenses against Him. And one of the main reasons why Jesus came, so that He could take away those offenses. So that He could offer to us forgiveness. How? Because he took the blow for us. He took the wrath for us. He died for us so that he could say as he was dying on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Yeah, when Jesus came, he came to bring forgiveness. So as you celebrate Christmas, I trust you will celebrate Christmas with a spirit of gratefulness for God's forgiveness. And if you have not received God's forgiveness, do it today. Do it today. Place your faith in Jesus, the resurrected Son of God who gave his life for your sins on Calvary and who was born as a little baby, the descendant of Joseph, the son of Mary. Let's have prayer as we close. Dear Jesus, we're so thankful and grateful for Joseph. He was a courageous man. Sometimes, Lord, you ask us to do difficult things. Help us not to shrink back. Help us to be courageous. Help us, like wise men, to offer to you our worship. Help us, like shepherds, to tell others the story. Help us like Mary and Joseph to receive you into our lives. Thank you for this. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you are with us. Forgive us. Thank you that when you died, you died to forgive us of our sin. May we embrace that in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>